These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus's way to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is and what he calls us to be a part of and how much he loves us. Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. It is summer. Uh, and again, a big transitional time of the year where people are in, people are out, people are doing, people are not doing. Uh, us not doers are jealous of you doers. So anyway, we're glad that you're here. We also want to welcome those who are joining us, joining us online for the second week in a row. Facebook is working correctly. So again, uh, we want to welcome those that are watching online from Cali from sea to si shining sea. There you go. We have them all over the place. It's so interesting sometimes the emails and the comments that I get from people who watch online. It's just a valuable part of what we do. Sometimes it's not what I like because I want people here uh, and I want to see you and I want to touch you and I want to know that you're here. Uh, with that in mind, it just encourages me. I saw some people I hadn't seen in a while today and that just puts a smile on my face and makes me feel so much better because some of you I wonder about. I said to somebody a while ago, I think we get, need to get like a squad to go out and hunt people down. You know what I'm saying? But that's not who we are. It's just not who we are. But we love you and there's a place where you're here and we want you here. So just know that uh, if you are not here, you are missed uh, more than what you probably realize. Knowing that there's a lot of transition right now, let me highlight a couple of things. And one of the things I want to highlight is next Sunday is going to be, again, one of those fun days. We're going to have a little fun in the morning. We're going to have a little fun in the afternoon. Uh, Sunday morning, we're calling it Cool at the Pool Day. So again, uh, we have uh, some people who are really creative with this kind of stuff. So anyway, here's what we're going to do on Sunday morning. We want you to dress like you're going to the pool, but come to church, but we don't want you wearing your thongs and your Speedos and that kind of, okay, not that kind of stuff. We're, we're talking about like cool, cool pool attire, you know, maybe flip-flops, maybe shorts, maybe some cool shirts, sunglasses, hats, that kind of stuff. Have some fun with it. It's okay. They can be stiff over at Emmanuel. We're not going to be stiff over here, okay? We're going to have a little fun. So again, dress up, you know, be a little festive, have a little fun. I don't know what else we're going to do on Sunday morning, but that's part of what we're going to do. Then we're going to go to the pool on Sunday afternoon because Sunday afternoon is Scoopalicious. It's National Ice Cream Day. We celebrate that every year by having you make your favorite kind of homemade ice cream and bringing it, and we have a competition to see who makes the best. So again, there we go. Be careful now. Easy, 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 easy. So anyway, it gets to be, I mean, there are some almost fights here that happen. So again, who's the best? But again, think about it now. Start thinking about what kind of ice cream you're going to make, and we know everybody can't do that. So if you can't make ice cream, bake a cake, uh, make some cookies. We prefer you make something versus buy something. But if the option is only to buy something or do nothing, then buy something uh, and bring that with you, with your swimsuit, with your towel, and join us next Sunday afternoon from 530 to 7 at the Jimmy Floyd Center, which is just a couple of blocks uh, over that way. And, and again, we're just going to have a good time. It's going to be a good time for you to see and notice uh, and get to know people maybe that you don't know that attend Crossroads. Because, again, church attendance, sadly, is not what it used to be. Uh, we didn't have an option when I grew up. A lot of times uh, people give people options, you know, and they just they, they choose not to come. But we want you to be there. Bring your children, van grandchildren, uh, your friends, your family, your enemies, people, maybe somebody you have in the neighborhood that you want to drown, bring them, uh, and, 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 and maybe somebody will take care of that. I don't know. But anyway, uh, we, we would love to see you next Sunday morning and then see you also next Sunday afternoon. I'm going to be posting more information about the details of, you know, uh, what is going to be happening as far as that afternoon and when to get your ice cream there and that kind of stuff so that you can uh, get it entered in and it will be part of the competition. Some people really want to do that. Some people don't want to do that. So again, that, that's, that's all part of that. Let me say this. Uh, also, 
Wednesday afternoon, this Wednesday afternoon from 4 to 6 is our call to prayer. We've been doing that for about the last month, 4 to 6, again, uh, until the Lord tells me uh, that we're going to stop it. I'm not going to stop it. We have uh, been doing it for four or five weeks now. I think this will be our fifth week, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. here on Wednesday. We just open up the auditorium. The lights are low. The, the, the room is cool. And as far as just come in and find you a place to sit or get up or stand up or lay on your face or come at the foot of these steps, and you just pray. You pray for your needs. You pray for our country. You pray for our community. You pray for our leaders, our leadership. You pray for our church. You pray for your family. You stay the whole time. You stay 15 minutes. Do whatever works for you. We just ask that you kind of follow the instructions that we'll have on the table there, that we remain a, a, a worshipful environment where we're not distracting other people with phones and talking and that kind of thing. So I encourage you to join us this Sunday, 4 p, uh, this Wednesday, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, the other thing I was going to tell you about was on July the 30th is going to be Baptism Sunday. Again, it's, we've done it about every month. Uh, I think we've done it every month, but maybe a couple this year. Uh, and so July the 30th, everybody's kind of get back in the swing of things. And if you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then we want to encourage you to take the next step, and that next step is baptism. We will offer it in the 8.30 service and the 10 a.m. service. Uh, so which one of those works best for you? We would strongly encourage you to pick one and then follow the information, uh, the contact information in the worship guide as relative to who to get in touch with. And they will get back in touch with you and help you get everything in order so that we can get you baptized on Sunday, July the 30th. You probably noticed I kind of had like a, like a, like a, I was kind of like, well, there's something else I need, I feel like I need to tell, but I just can't, I can't remember what it is right now. Uh, I made an observation. And again, I want to share this observation with you this morning because it kind of gives us direction as far as where we're going to be going this morning. Uh, it's one of those things that I wished I had actually given it to the people who put it on the screen, but they don't have it. So anyway, uh, I'll just have to tell you. And here, here's my observation. My observation is this. Have you noticed how many people live life entitled? I mean, th this culture right now is as bad as I have ever seen it. Have you noticed, let me say it again, have you noticed how many people, so many people, live life entitled? They just think that they're entitled to the good things in life. I mean, you, they think they're entitled to things like, like uh, a beautiful day, a walk with friends, they're entitled to a great meal at a great restaurant. They're entitled to a, a job or a career. They're entitled to a nice house. They're entitled to a nice car. They're just entitled. They live their life like they're entitled to all of these things, like they just deserve those things. That's my observation. But there's another observation that I made, and this observation kind of goes hand in hand with that first observation. My second observation is this. Unthankful people are almost always unhappy people. Unthankful people are almost always unhappy people. I mean, think about it like this. A critical factor in life is whether you take things for granted or whether you accept things with gratitude. That's a critical factor in life. Whether you take things for granted or whether you stop and accept things with gratitude. And see, nowhere do I think this applies more than the actual grace of God in our lives. Because when gratitude is lacking, listen, 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 listen. When gratitude is lacking, grace has either not been received or grace has not been understood. 
So one day Jesus tells a story. And this story shows us how much our attitude expresses about our relationship with God. So I'm going to go back to the same place we were last week. Some of you weren't here. We were in the Gospel of Luke last week, and we're going to go back to the Gospel of Luke. Last week, I think we were in chapter 8. This week, we're going to go to chapter 7. Here's what it says in chapter 7. It says, when one of the Pharisees, this, guy, this Pharisee guy is named Simon. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Now, again, you, you saw that in action here a couple of weeks ago. We set up a table like it would have been set up in that culture, in that time, and we showed you exactly what it looked like. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sin... Again, listen, listen, listen. It's all in the details. You have to really pay attention. You're hearing me read Scripture. You're seeing it behind me, but pay attention to the details. It's always in the details. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped the feet of Jesus. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, the Pharisee was the one who invited Jesus into his home. When the Pharisee who invited him, now think about this, you're the Pharisee. When the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus was who he said he was, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. He would know that she is a sinner. Let's, call, let, let, let's time out. There's, we're going to go back. There's so much to cover here. We just got to stop so that we have, a, we have to have an understanding. We have to have the context. We have to have a firm understanding of what is happening as Luke is writing this down. See, it's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to actually know or, or, or to consider the motive. What was the motive of Simon, the Pharisee, who actually invited Jesus in, into his house? We have no idea. We, do, we have no idea what the motive was. But we can be sure of one thing. And the thing that we can be sure of is that the mood in the room, the, the, the mood at the table where people are reclined at this dinner party, that mood was not laid back. It was not laid back at all. As a matter of fact, the atmosphere in the room was probably stiff and kind of rigid. The tone was probably formal. And the, fee and, and the feeling in the room was tense. But here's Jesus in the house of a Pharisee. See, the fact that Jesus was a friend of sinners, that didn't mean that he was unwilling to be a friend of the self-righteous. I mean, think about it. The self-righteous also needed the gospel, right? I mean, think about it. The, the self-righteous need the gospel about as bad as anybody. Does anybody know a self-righteous legalist right now who needs to be freed by the gospel? Come on now. I mean, gosh. So let's picture what's happening in our heads and in our minds and in our hearts. And, and hopefully you remember a few weeks ago that, that right here on this stage, I, we had this all set up for you so that you had a firm understanding of what it was like to recline at the table at a dinner party or be a dinner guest of somebody in the culture of Jesus. Because we have to understand, in that time, Jewish dinner parties, they weren't like our dinner parties. Because, see, here's the thing. Listen, listen, listen. While the dinner guests were reclined at the table, needy people 
were invited to come in and to take the leftovers as the leftovers were made available. See, that's just weird. That's odd to us. But needy people who were hungry were, were invited to come in and take the leftovers off of the table as those leftovers became available to them. Here's something else about a dinner party in that culture. Other people were, who were curious were just able to come in. They, they, they were allowed to, to come in and sit against the wall and just to observe what was happening. I mean, somebody could have just been curious and saw this, this, this party that, that, that Simon the Pharisee was, happening, that was having and Jesus was invited in and somebody could have just kind of wandered in and, and sat against the wall because they were curious about what was happening. And if that's the case, which it was, then it would be no surprise that this uninvited woman would have entered the room. And she was watching everything that was happening. But this woman that we're meeting in the story is a different woman. There's something different. I mean, imagine this woman. A woman who lives in a highly conservative, highly religious community. And everybody in the community knows that this woman is a sinful woman. What kind of sin? We really don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe she's been sleeping around. Maybe she's a prostitute. We really don't know what her sins were. The thing that we do know is that she was known as a sinful woman. And it's important to understand that in that culture, women didn't get to vote. They couldn't own property. They couldn't even testify in court. So, so we have this woman, there's no telling how broken her life was. That's the woman that we're meeting in this story. But she sits in this dinner party with Jesus and the Pharisee, and we don't know who else was at the table, but, but what we do know is that suddenly her emotions get the best of her. Suddenly, overcome by her emotions, something happens. She's overcome by love, and she begins to weep. And her tears begin to fall on the feet of Jesus. And I would say it was a natural impulse for her to, to, to reach back and undo her hair. And to take her hair and to begin to wipe the feet of Jesus. And that's what she does. And in the moment that she does this, the room falls silent. As the guests are stunned at what they see unfolding right in front of them. They're stunned at what they're actually seeing. And I have to put myself in the place of Simon, who invited Jesus to this party, into his home. I mean, you have to wonder what was going through his mind. I mean, if you're Simon or I'm Simon, you, you just know that there are some things going through his mind. Here's the first thing that I think was going through Simon's mind. I think the first thing was he, he was thinking, oh, my gosh, this is unthinkable. This woman, this unclean, sinful woman, and she's so sinful, she's in my house. She's so sinful that even her touch is contaminating To touch her would defile you. And see, what you probably don't know was in that culture at that time, it was unlawful for a, a woman to undo her hair in front of other men. She could be divorced for doing that. But that's what she did. 
And if that isn't bad enough, she takes her hair and she wipes the feet of Jesus. And Simon can hardly believe what he's seeing. I mean, think about it. It's bad enough that she's in his house, but for her to do what she's doing is unthinkable. And while he's shocked at what this lady has done, Simon is even more shocked at how Jesus has responded or maybe the way that Jesus didn't respond. Because I think that's the second thing that went through his mind. You see, Jesus didn't condemn this woman. Jesus didn't condemn the woman and send her out. In fact, Jesus does not discourage the woman. He actually encourages her. And Simon is thinking, how could he actually be the son of God if this is the way that he reacts in this situation? Because surely a man in touch with God with discernment would know what kind of woman this is. Because everything in the culture that Simon lived in told him that good people protect their goodness by avoiding sinful people. But here's the thing. Jesus was totally fine for being excluded for who he included. Jesus had no desire for people to include him for who he excluded. And just think about that. That's kind of what I want for my life. I would rather be excluded for who I included than to be included for who I exclude. And these thoughts are going through Simon's mind. Here's here's the third thing. See, when Simon was pushed to the wall, when the pressure was on, Simon would admit that he was a sinner. Simon would willingly admit that he's not perfect. But even though he was a sinner, he was not a sinner like her. He was not a sinner like this woman. Because contact with Simon would not be defiling. Because he was qualitatively different from a prostitute. He might be a little sinner, but she was a great sinner. She was a sinner that was fundamentally different from him. So Simon complains that Jesus doesn't know who's touching him. But in fact, Jesus knew who and what kind of person was touching him. And at the same time, he knew exactly what kind of person Simon was. So now Jesus is going to tell a story. A parable. And I just love the parables. And again, I don't know whether this is going to be just like my last day as, you know, with the parable. I've kind of gotten like last week I kind of told one. This week I kind of told one. And I'm like, do I want to go back and look at another parable? But here's the thing about parables. I believe that there has been a generation of churchgoers who have grown up hearing the teachings of parables And they have seen the parables as what I call moralistic fables. They've heard people like me teach the parables as like moralistic fables. In other words, they were were taught, the the parables were, were actually taught as an illustration of how 
to do the right things that God wants us to do. And that's what they are. But that's not all that they are. See, to me, the parables are so much more than that. The first thing that I think the parables do is a parable gives me a very clear look, insight, a very clear picture of the heart and the intentions of my God. That's what the parables do. They give us very clear pictures of the heart and the intentions of our God. The second thing is, I think that these things we call parables, they're, they're, they're so mysterious. Or maybe you could say difficult. But what they do is, is they, they challenge you and I to look at the hidden aspects of our lives. Because a parable will bring to the surface unasked questions. And then they reveal answers that we've always known. But answers that we refuse to acknowledge. And so Jesus tells this parable, a story. He tells it to Simon. And this parable explains both the woman's attitude and at the same time, the parable exposes the attitude of Simon. Look at verse 40. Jesus answered, Jesus answered him. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And here's the parable. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. This is the parable of the moneylender. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other owed him 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgives the debts of both. Now, Simon, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Correct. Come on down, you're on the price is right. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Let's look at this. Both of the men, we're going to make an assumption. These are two men in this parable. Doesn't matter if they're men, women, it doesn't matter, okay? But we're going to, for the sake of teaching purposes, we're going to say men. Both the men in this parable are broke. They can't pay it back. Both men in the parable are equally broke. So what that tells us at the very outset of the story is that both of the people in the story are equal. Let me tell you, when you have no resources to pay the debt back, the question of who has the bigger debt is purely academic. It doesn't matter. But let's look at that in a spiritual sense. If none of us can pay the debt of sin that we owe, it does little good to figure out who is the bigger sinner. Amen? If you can't pay it and you can't pay it, it doesn't matter who's the bigger sinner. We're both sinners. It really doesn't matter who's the bigger sinner. Because spiritual bankruptcy, like financial bankruptcy, is a great equalizer. But we have two people in this story, two people in this parable. And the lender forgave both of the people who owed him by assuming the debt himself. He didn't explain it or excuse it or offer any other explanation. He just forgave the debts of the two people in the parable. And you know what that did? That just ended it. 
And when he did that, let me, let, let me let, look right here. It was an act of grace. It was an act of grace because the moneylender did not require either of the men to work it off or to do anything about a portion of what they owed. He didn't offer, he didn't offer there was nothing. He just assumed the debt and let them go. It was an act of grace. It was also an act of freedom. Because he could have extended the payment period. He didn't extend the payment period. But instead, he forgave both of the debtors and he said, go on. And he let them go. Here's what I want you to understand. This is the very essence of grace. And Jesus, the thing that I love is that Jesus asked a simple question of Simon. Which one of them will love him more? That's the question that Jesus asked Simon. We have two people who have been forgiven their debt. Which one will, will actually love him more? And the implication of the answer to this question is simple yet really important. Because it shows us that there is a link between love and forgiveness. Forgiveness precedes love. The forgiven person will love the forgiver because the forgiven person has been forgiven. In fact, there is a direct correlation between our perception of forgiveness and our feeling of love. See here, where there is understood forgiveness, there will inevitably be undeniable love. And the parable that Jesus is telling, it clearly indicates that forgiveness produces love, not vice versa. Forgiveness produces love. Look at the next verse. Then he turned toward the woman. Now picture this. He, Jesus turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, he's looking and talking to Simon, but he's looking towards the woman. He looked at her, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And it's a great question because the answer is that Simon does not see the woman. You know what Simon sees? A sinner. Because that's what religious people do. Come on, somebody. That's what you do, us church people. That's what we do. Religious people quickly see the sins of other people without seeing their own sin. I just need to stop right here and let you think about this. Because we're guilty of this as church people, religious people. Again, I'm in there with you, okay? We're always looking at the sins of other people without seeing our own sins. I mean, think about it. You got a list of sins, don't you? You got a list. You came in. You didn't know you came in with a list of really bad sins this morning, but you came in here into Crossroads Church in Lebanon, Tennessee on 7 9 23 with a list of really bad sins. Because we all have a list of all those sins that are worse than all the other sins, right? Can I just say something? I know all the sins that are on your sin list. Every one of you, right to left, front to back. I know, I know all the, all the sins that you have on your list that are the really bad sins. And you know what they are? They're the sins that you don't struggle with. 
That's what's on your list. And Jesus says to Simon, do you see her? Do you really see her? Simon, you don't see a human. You don't see somebody that's actually made in the image of God. You see a sinner. But Jesus looks at this woman and sees a person, not a problem. Listen to me, Crossroads. Listen to me if you're watching online. I don't care what your sin problem is. You're not a problem for Jesus. You think he loves you because he has to? He loves you because he has to, and at the same time, he's so disappointed in you. That's not the case because Jesus looks at the woman and he sees her present, not her past. Look at the next verse. Jesus says, I came into your house. Again, this is so good. I mean, David's right over here. I think he's over there. I can't really see him, but I think he's over there. I, I brought him up in a service and washed his feet. This is what we're talking about. I mean, we, we've actually had all of these things happen on this stage in the last several weeks. But here's, here's what Jesus said. He said, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which was the custom to wash people's feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little... There's the link. Love's little. Simon, she's a worshiper. You're not. Simon, she repents. You don't. Simon, she serves. You won't. Simon, she gave generously, but you don't give at all. Qualitatively speaking, Simon was not different from this woman. Because just like her, Simon was spiritually bankrupt. And he needed a Savior to cancel his debt. The greatest thing that could happen to Simon was for him to realize the magnitude of his actual need for forgiveness. But you know what some of us do? We walk through life feeling judgmental about other people. About their sin and what they're doing. And you know what? If you're walking through life being judgmental towards other people, it's simply because you've forgotten the magnitude of what God has forgiven in your life. You can't be judgmental. Great love and joy and worship, that's the natural response to forgiveness. Look at verse 48. Then Jesus said to the lady, the woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, look right here. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look at, look at what it says. Your faith has saved you. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? 
He didn't tell the lady to go and do something. He didn't tell this woman who had wept on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair and kissed his feet. He didn't tell her to go and do anything. You know why? Because he was about to go to the cross and do everything. She didn't need to do anything. Because he was about to do everything. And for the first time in her life, a man had made her feel clean instead of dirty. For the first time in her life, she could walk out of the Pharisee's house and say, no matter what anybody else may say, that man has set me free from what I was. She walked out of that house knowing that God himself was her friend. She went out of that house a very different person than she was when she entered that house. You know, some of you are very passionate. But at the very same time that some of you are passionate, there are also some of you that are radically indifferent to the grace of God and how that grace has changed your life. Because listen to me, there are no little sinners. Did you hear me? There is no little forgiveness. Which means that that there can be no little love and no little gratitude. You need to be like this woman. Go ahead, break the vase. And pour it out. Because it's worth it. I mean, remember, when gratitude is lacking, grace has either not been received or grace has not been understood. You see this parable, the parable of the moneylender? When everything is pushed aside, that parable is really about self-reliance. I can take care of it myself. And some of you, you've convinced yourself that your sin, your past, your shortcomings, you've just convinced yourself that you can deal with it. I'll be good enough. No, you won't. I'll never do that again. Oh, yes, you will. I'll always be faithful to God. Oh, really? You don't start with grace and graduate to self-reliance and perfect behavior. That's not the goal. Grace is the air that we breathe. Without it, without grace, we have nothing. Without grace, we're broke. Can I just ask you right now to stand and to bow your heads? Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the parables and the truths that they expose about each one of our lives. It allows us in a mysterious way to see things that we know are there, but we just don't want to confront every head bowed, every eye closed all across this room. Maybe this morning, today's your day to accept the grace that's made available to you through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've put it off and put it off. Can I just encourage you one thing? Watching the news and listening to the things that are happening in our world, I would not put off receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior one more minute. So maybe today's the day that you just, in your own way, You receive Jesus for who he is. Let him become the author, the finisher of your faith. Believe him for who he is and what he's done. He told that woman, 
You don't have to go and do anything because he knew he was going to do everything. He did everything for her. He's done everything for you. So maybe right there where you're standing, maybe you're watching online, listening online, maybe right where you are, you just need to simply bow your head and say, God, this morning we're so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for Jesus who paid a debt that I couldn't pay, who went to the cross to do everything on my behalf. And today, God, I receive that gift of salvation, the gift of grace that's made available to me. And you just make it personal between you and God. It's not about the prayer. It's about the decision that you have made in your spirit today to begin to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to make him the leader of your life. And maybe you just finish that prayer by saying, God, I thank you for Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I seek to follow you the rest of my life. seal that prayer personally between you and God by praying in Jesus' name. God, for the rest of us all across this room, we actually stand in awe of the grace that's been made available to us. There is no little sinner. There is no little forgiveness. We're all equally broke without Jesus spiritually bankrupt but Jesus made a way where there didn't seem to be a way and because of his sacrifice on the cross when you look in our direction and we have seen and we have made the decision to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior you don't see us, you see him and because of that we will have and experience eternal life with you God you are so good all the time and all the time you're good as we pray this prayer this morning in Jesus name Amen
But offer this heart, oh God, completely. has either not been received or grace has not been understood you should be dancing out of this joint today because of the grace that's been available to you and made available to you through Jesus Christ he did everything because you couldn't do what you needed to do he had to do it 